you want to extend your your dream, your individuality, your talents to the full extent that you can and recognizing that what wants to emerge is bigger than what you can dream of. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Vibrant Culture podcast. This is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach, and I am here today with none other than David Gold. So I don't have a traditional intro for David today, but I am going to start the story, and David's going to finish it. So you got you know I have to have a lot of faith if I'm going to let David finish my story. <laughs> but, but here's the story. I was down in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was getting ready to uh, speak the next day for a North Carolina government organization, and I was sitting on the back porch. Unfortunately, we're at the beach. It's raining, but there are these beautiful rocking chairs. And so my daughter and I are sitting out in the rocking chairs, and we are having a glass of wine, and we are laughing and having the best time. And all of a sudden, David Gold walks up. And I'll let you finish the story, David. All right. Well, well, first of all, you know, fortunately we were at the beach. Unfortunately, we were there in a monsoon and um, I was down with my beautiful wife, Julie, and my two stepchildren. And I'm looking, I, you know, one's a teenager, one's 20. I'm looking at the rain. I'm thinking, what the heck are we going to do? And then, and actually Julie, come, you know, Julie's over there and, she, and I see her talking to these two beautiful women. And um, I'm waiting for her to finish the conversation so we can continue to what we're doing. And that conversation is not, not finishing. So I went over to see what all the fuss and bother was about. And there's a couple of things that I noticed right away. I mean, I, I did notice these two just really beautiful and charismatic women happened to be mother and daughter. And I, I think vibrance is the right word. There was just such a vibrancy in, in you individually and collectively. And I just so admired. I didn't know it was mother and daughter. I thought you were two buds. And just the, the way that you uh-huh. were just so easy with each other. And you were just so comfortable with each other and you had your inside jokes and, you know, there just was no, I didn't feel there were any of the boundaries that you know, can have between a mother, you know, the kind of, you know, let's not talk about this. And then, then I knew that my week that I knew why I came to the beach in a monsoon. It was to meet you. And uh, that's so great. Yeah. So anyway, that's just, I think that's the way both of us roll in our lives is, you know, obviously plan what we plan, but then just see what type of opportunities arise. And both of us, having such a great love and appreciation for people and opportunities and, you know, and serendipitous and synchronistic kind of stuff that here we are. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So um, David and I have uh, kept in touch. Really, it's been David who's been keeping in touch. He's been so uh, diligent about making sure that we develop our relationship. So first of all, I'm grateful for that. And then second, um, we start out the podcast every time by talking about leadership. And uh, I'm collecting definitions of leadership. I'm I'm trying to figure out what the right definition is. Uh, So, David Gold, what is your definition of leadership? Well, I let's let's let me back. I'll probably back into that by just kind of giving you some data points of what I what is emerging in my own experience as leadership. And I would say, first of all, it it absolutely stems from being the fullest, most accepting version of yourself. And that one, once you do that, whatever it is that you have to offer, that would may maybe appear as, as leadership. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to lead this or I'm going to do that. Or, but no, what happens is that what, when you accept yourself and step fully into who you are, then naturally all that you are starts to emerge. 
And then people were attracted to that. And rather than, and also I, I discovered with that perspective or with that position, with that confidence, that real natural confidence that comes from that is that you don't feel like you need to be a leader. You don't feel like you need to exert, you know, power or need to exert, exert superiority, but something very natural occurs out of that. And then I would say the second, you know, I'll, 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 I'll give you, you know, so long as you, your listeners probably figure out, I used to be a tri-lawyer, so I can't do anything in a few words, but that the other thing that happens is it brings out the best in others. It's contagious. That kind of natural leadership that comes from stepping fully into yourself and being comfortable and acceptance of yourself is contagious and others step into that as well. And then in that, there's kind of a natural hierarchy or natural leadership that emerges that that which you most have to bring to the table in the way that you can only, only you can bring it as yourself. That starts to, that starts to come out and then others show up as their, of themselves. And then there's a very natural leadership with it. So I would say the natural leadership is standing fully in yourself as yourself in the moment with great curiosity about what's the highest and best that can emerge in that moment in relationship between two or more people. How's that? I thought that was great. And the word that's ringing in my mind is like, uh, well, actually I have two words ringing in my mind. One is like, bring your authenticity. You know, once you really understand who you are and what you have to offer, that's what, what I think I heard you say. Um, and that just rings of authenticity, like be yourself. And that, and that draws people to you is kind of what I heard. And then the other thing is too, is um, I, I believe one of my, one of my philosophies are, is, and maybe even a theology um, is that everybody's born with a, like a little bit of genius and, and everybody's genius is just like a little bit different. Uh, so if you can bring your authentic genius to the party and are free to, you know, free and willing to give it to other people, you know, share, you know, share what you do, share your talents and skills, um, then I can't think of an organization that wasn't tremendously successful if everybody had that mindset. Oh, you nailed it. I mean, we should just stop the podcast and ship this out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like we went to the back of the book. That'd be too uh, short, Dave. That'd be yeah. too short. No, no, well, I'm just, no there's, with you and I in a, in a, on a, with microphones, there'll never be a shortage of time, things to talk about. I think what you're saying is so beautiful and I'm, I'm seeing it so much more in my, in my practice as I'm working with, with really you know, creative and dynamic people that know they have something to bring out into the world is that so often what we do is the edges that we have or that we, we, we round off the edges and we think, oh, this individual, this part of myself that's so me, people won't accept it or it's too much for people. I'm sure you and I both here, we're too much, we're too much, we're too much. And in fact, that's the genius. So what people are doing, too many people, and I would, and, and again, I think you and I both have the gift of bringing this out in people you know, seeing it, sensing it, and then coaxing it out with great, you know, skill and great love. I know you do is that we stop having stop turning down the dimmer switch on their genius. In fact, that which makes them so unique is in fact, the only knows what they have to bring to the table. And as you know, as we also both know, the greatest value that people get is in transformation. And so that individuated part of themselves, that genius you talk about is the part that actually transforms others. So not only are they holding, keeping their light under a bushel basket to get a little theology in there as well, but they're also just, they're dumbing down their true value and their true abundance because they're, they're scared of their genius. They're scared. It's going to bring people out. And I know what both of you and what we both do is create a safe space where people can bring that genius out and really be themselves and start experimenting with themselves and see what that, see what that looks like. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that um, it, it gives permission. I think that's the most important thing is, you know, the minute that, you know, that I'm unapologetic about who I am. I mean, I have to be a woman of integrity. I've got to be a woman of character. I've got to, you know, uh, hit some of the solid principles and morals that we've got going on. Um, but the my quirkiness and like you, you're saying, um, like, don't if I don't round off my edges, I really like that picture. <laughs> you know, the quirkier, quirky has a lot of quirky, oh, you know, like your hard edges are your best edges, right? That's what cuts through the mess and mm-hmm. helps you get forward. If you got a little sharp edge, um, I, I think that's great. Well, you know, one of the things that I found on your website at least twice was this quote. And so I want you to talk about this quote. Um, because I think a lot of times in business, people are trying to, you know, be so linear about things and, you know, so calculated and researched. And I think all of that is very important. Uh, both you and I went and did a lot of school. School's important, everybody. Go to school. Get as much schooling as you can afford. However, uh, at some point, you got to go kind of like with like uh, your gut or with spirit or courage. And you say life cannot give you anything you are not willing to give yourself. Um, and when I when I read that, uh, I pondered it for a little while before we got on our call. And uh, it's almost like you have to believe that you can do whatever you need to do in business. And once you believe that's like you're willing to give it to you. Is that what you're talking about there? You got to believe that you can get it done. What are you saying? So that's that quote actually is a, is, a, is something I heard from Panache Desai. So I want to foot, I want to footnote that, and I I've made it my own. And I what I find is that people I don't know if this is answering exactly where you're coming from, but I'll just again give you data points, and we'll see if we circle around to a thesis here. Is that I I know from my own life I kept the lid on my I didn't feel that I deserved was worthy was in my destiny to have a great love and to be really successful and to be known and to achieve something big, even though I had all this drive and I was doing it, you know, I was, I built a successful practice, I sold companies, you know, I had this great effect, but all the time I thought, Oh, well, no, that's not really me. I, I, I I don't deserve this, you know, deserve, I'm using deserve very, you know, very generically. And I see this with every, I just see this everywhere I look is that there's a way that we disqualify ourselves. Everyone that I've in my, that I've met so far, almost, almost everyone has a reason to disqualify themselves from accepting the abundance and the gifts and the partnership that life offers to us in every, I think, I believe in every moment. I know, you know, again, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel this is something that we share. And one of the reasons that we resonated, if we can suspend our disbelief one and that we're worthy of receiving whatever it is that life wants to give us and two, that life actually wants to give it to us. Those are the two things I find people either think I ain't worthy, not for me. Or if it's, if, you know, if it is for me, life ain't going to give it to me. And when, and there's a way that we, when we step fully into life and to love and to opportunity and really again, into just stopping the self disqualification that life starts to give us things. And it, it shows up. It's an interesting, there's one of my clients I was speaking to and she said, you know, the more I evolve, the more I leave people behind. And I thought, well, that is such a mixed message to send to the universe because you're basically saying, don't give me any more transformation because I'm going to be lonely, right? And I'm sure if you thought about all of your clients, you think everyone's got something like that. They have some reason that if they take that if they take a step, it's not, it's not going to work for them. And so it's only when I 
I, you know, and for me, as you know, my story, which I say it's a love story, you know, after 40 years of spiritual digging and 40 years of business that I, I found everything that I was looking for. And, and, you know, and that beautiful woman who walked up to you and you started talking to at the beach and brought us together that once I realized how good life was and how good life could be and how blessed I was, you know, and I use that word blessed with generically, you can put any context you want in it, you know, whether it's some intelligence giving you that or life giving you that or me lucking into it. I don't know what the hell it was, but whatever it is that once I allowed myself to see that and I realized, Oh, you know, at first I couldn't believe that she could love me. I thought I'm not worthy. I mean, what the hell is she seeing in me? It's the same kind of stuff we're talking about. I was unwilling to give myself the love that was actually in front of me. And then, and I, I don't know if I told you the story, I'm giving you a long answer, but I love to tell the story because I tell Julie, if I don't tell anybody how much I love you in one conversation, I haven't done our justice, our love justice here. <laughs> but, but that when she told me that she loved me for no good reason, she said, I love you for good reasons and no good reason. And then I realized, oh, okay. And, and life loves us for no good, no good reason. And when you realize life loves you for no good reason, then you stop disqualifying yourself because you think I'm not good enough to have it. And so what I'm finding is that all, you know, you pull that little pin out, whatever that self-disqualification is, at least have people question it and then finally accept themselves and then like themselves and learn to love themselves on that trajectory. Then life just starts to give them stuff. And, and I'm sure you do this as well. You get people to experiment with that philosophy. You get people just pretend for a week that you're okay. Pretend for a week. You don't have to fix yourself. Pretend you haven't done the, the unforgivable, you know, the Harry Potter, the three unforgivable curses, you know, pretend that hasn't happened and just see what life brings you. And then when life brings you that, then you can step deep, you know, then you say, oh my God, I can trust life a little more. And you trust a little more and life gives you a little more. And before you know it, you're living the kind of magical lives that you and I are so blessed with. And then I got just a little snapshot of, you know, the moment I laid eyes on you and your daughter. Yeah. And I think really it's, um, you could call it a mindset. Maybe that might land with the, with some of my listeners is, um, you know, you can have a poverty mindset or you can have an abundance, you know, mindset. And what, what Dave and I are talking about is nothing new. You could go back, you could watch some, read some book or watch the movie, the secret or whatever. Um, you know, and, and we could bring some more theology into it. You know, uh, you know, you, you got to knock on the door so you can get your answer, but you got to, you got, you got to knock, you know? So, uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of leaders, hold themselves back from greatness because they have a great degree of doubt instead of belief. So it's either abundance or poverty, poverty or, or belief or doubt, but there's, there is a mental model in there that is holding you up. And I know that's what you do. So, you know, I said, I wasn't going to give a traditional introduction, but what Dave does is he works with people with leaders and he does one-on-one mentoring. And then he also does a group mentoring model. And in that group mentoring and one-on-one mentoring, uh, I assume that you would work on this mindset with people that you would help it in the right way. Do you have a name for the mindset that you try to help people get in place? I don't know if I have a, a name for, I would say that it comes down to something that I, first of all, I want to just say that what you do and what I do, and again, I'm not just blowing smoke, Nicole. I know that I know you're the real deal. And I want everyone listening to know that Yes, you're very, you know, you're very articulate and you're, you know, you're very polished, but you're also just really authentic. And you, you talk from it, not about it. You're one of those people that talk from it, not about it. And I just want to acknowledge that and have everyone in your ecosystem to realize how lucky they are to have you in that ecosystem. 
And what I, I say is my, my transformation is I started to love more than I feared. So I started to trust more than I feared. So the mindset, and that doesn't mean I, I'm still not afraid of stuff and I'm still, you know, because that's, that's a, I'm, I am who I am, you know. Because you're human. I'm human. And I was born into this particular high, strong, you know, blah, 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 type A kind of guy. And at the same time, I'm, if, I think when people get to be 51%, you just got to be 51% trust versus fear. 50% love versus rejection. And get so, so that that is where your center of gravity is. And then once, once you kind of cross that divide and this is, yeah, this is what I do. And we can talk more about how I do it, compare notes on how you do it. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities. We never compared notes is that once people come to that, then there's a momentum that comes. There is a, there is a momentum where you start to trust more. You start to recognize your fears as being just old wounds, old stuff. You know, you talk about scarcity. I noticed when I start worrying about money, it's just because I know how, if I worry about money, I feel I'm in control. Oh, I'm worried. Okay, I'm taking steps. And so now I'm, I'm saying I'm the one in control of it. So I even know when I go into a scarcity mindset, I'm retracting. I'm going back into, oh, I'm the one that's got to control it versus living with this cure. You know, like you say, bring best business practices. You know, that's, the, that's again, that's part of both of our skills is we know the best business practices. We're not telling people to, you know, it's like Reagan said, trust, but verify, right? We want to be able to get people to bring that. But at the same time, we're having them extend beyond what they can control to let life prove its trustworthiness for, for them so that, so that abundance and so that opportunities and so that, yeah, just opportunities beyond what you can think of. So I guess if I had to say the mindset, it's one where it's, a, it's living with an expectation of opportunity and abundance with your eyes wide open. Expectation of opportunity with your eyes wide open. Did I get it right? With, with eyes wide open. And the yeah. wide open piece is that I think this is part of the knocking at the door is, hey, this is a partnership you're in. I'm in a, I'm in a partnership with the universe. I'm bringing my, everything that I've learned through, you know, 40 some years, like I say, in law and business and mentoring to the table and everything that I learned, you know, 30 day isolations with a cabin and working for decades with spiritual teachers. I'm just bringing all, I'm bringing all that into the picture. And that's, that's what we do. And it's not an either, you can't spiritually bypass and, that, and that's what a lot of it, a lot of people I used to work with, mostly spiritual types. And I got very frustrated because they thought because they had had a spiritual experience or because they had this discipline or that discipline that life was going to bring them to them. And, and maybe for some it did, but that's not, that's not the autonomy. That's not the, you know, that's not leadership. That's basically entitlement. And I, I don't want entitled. I want people, I mean, we are all entitled because we're human. We all deserve everything we get. But at the same time, I want people to say, hey, this is my, I want to, I want to do something. I want to make something. I want to just manifest the highest, most intense version of myself that I possibly can. And when you get that, plus a real sense of appreciation and the humility that comes from realizing how big and beautiful the universe is, that's magic. The magic is full autonomy and full surrender all at the same time. And that's the magic that we both create the space for that. Maybe I don't want to, again, speak for you, but I think there's probably a parallel in terms of what you do. Right, right. Well, it, you know, I don't know. I can't get away from duality because you just threw out a duality right there. You said it's full surrender, full surrender. And what was the opposite? You said full surrender and full autonomy. Individuality, yeah. individuality. And, uh, 
Yeah. And here's what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you talk is really you, you leaders have to have a f- philosophy. And this is a big part of my keynote that I do that's called Get Lit. And the lit, um, a big part of it is the L, that leaders need to know what they believe. And I think that's what we're talking about today is a mindset, a belief system. And really, one of the major points of my leadership philosophy, my personal leadership philosophy, how I lead myself, how I try to instruct others, is that you have a moral responsibility because you're on planet Earth. I mean, you're here. And so there has to be a reason. And that reason is that you probably have a unique ability, talent, skills, gifts, those rough edges, the quirkiness, whatever we've talked about so far. And those are supposed to be put to use. So like almost like the journey is to figure out how do you put those things to use? uh, Because there's probably something you're supposed to affect on planet Earth while you're here. And if everybody was on was on mission, as I like to say, then mm-hmm. we, we would get a lot of things cleaned up on planet Earth. But the reason why it's a hot mess is because people are doing what you said. Um, and let me go back and repeat it, everybody. Life cannot give you anything you're not willing to give yourself. So if you're not give, willing to give yourself permission to be your best self, your authentic genius, then life is not going to give you the opportunity to exercise it. Right. Like you can't you can't uh, go play unless you know the rules of the game, right? So (laughs) it's that duality, surrendering to the fact that, oh my God, I have a moral responsibility to get something done. And number two, I'm so grateful and humbled that I get to be part of it. You know, that's the duality of it all. Yeah, and it's beautifully said. And and interestingly enough, my own experience, you know, as someone who who hungered after unity and was tired tired of, of the either or, um, which I realize this is the beauty of being alive as you have those dualities is that after a while, the surrender and the full exercise of your individuality become one thing. And it's not, you know, at first it feels like you're toggling back and forth. Okay. I'm, I'm pushing myself. I'm surrendering. I'm pushing, I'm surrendering. And you kind of toggle back and forth and that's, that's cool. You know, but there's a point where that becomes one thing where you're acting with full autonomy. And at the same time in this, like a surrender is a good, you know, it's kind of a good word, but it's more like a curiosity about what wants to emerge that doesn't, that what wants to emerge. And then when you, cause then, because as soon as we, you know, you fear something, if you fear something, you try to control it. As soon as you control it, you stop receiving because you're saying it has to come like this. I'm, I got to be the guy. I got to be the woman. I got to be the person that's holding all this in. And so there's a way of just putting your arms down and saying, okay, what what wants to emerge around the edges that I can't even dream of? And that's the kind of the surrender. So from a, just a more practical, you know, I know you keep bringing me, which is great, back to practical stuff, relatively, at least, you know, exercisable stuff, stuff people can immediately take into their lives, is that you want to extend your your dream, your individuality, your talents to the full extent that you can and recognizing that what wants to emerge is bigger than what you can dream of. When you're at that edge where you are, at your edge and you're bringing everything into it. And at the same time, you realize that something bigger wants to emerge that even you at your edge can't figure out. That's when magic happens. That's when greatness happens. And that's when something really new comes into being. Yeah. And, you know, that's really where joy lives. I mean, like, isn't it amazing uh, that we could uh, create something that never existed before. I mean, that's so stinking fun. I can't even tell you. And I've got a really practical example. So if any of you are are listening to this and thinking, well, give me a practical example. I'll tell you something that happened to me 
uh, just in the last week, I was sitting with a, a chief marketing officer and um, we were talking about sales. And, you know, the, uh, sales is such a funny thing because like some people are like natural born salesperson. They just believe that they can go out and talk about this product, this service, uh, this organization, and they can get people to believe. And then there are others that think, oh, that's you. I would never want to be a salesperson. I would never want to have enough power over another individual to convince them of anything. <laughs> right. There's just like two camps, it seems like to me. Well, I was talking with this chief marketing officer and uh, he says, Nicole, I could let it rip with the marketing, but I'm afraid our people couldn't handle the business. And I was just about to lose my mind on the inside. Now, on the outside, I remained calm. And I'm like, tell me more about that. Because I almost didn't know how to respond. Because um, the marketing director's job is to let the marketing rip. That's the job. And he's so worried about the other side of it. Wouldn't it be so much fun if the marketing had an effect? People came into the business and then the business started rising to the occasion and getting where they need to be. But see, it's all a domino effect. And so he he had the fear that you were talking about instead of like the belief that they could get it done. So he's going to hold back for now. <laughs> and like, if you want to be completely practical, that's a terrible business plan, by the way. <laughs> My God, it must drive you nuts. I mean, you might, you might just want to take him up by his shoulders and shake him and say, because, but here's the cool things. You know, so one of my, I don't know. So we're working on them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you and I get them in a phone booth together. We'll pull them around. But it's <laughs> part of the model, you know, one of my things is whatever's showing up in your business is showing up in your life. And I can virtually guarantee that what he's doing with marketing is how he's holding back in probably every facet of his life. Okay. And you think about it, all of us are sending mixed messages to the universe. Like the woman that doesn't want to evolve. I have an, another, you know, it's funny. He, he put the basketball hoop in for, you met Ashton for my son here. And we started talking and like almost everyone that comes into my life, they become clients. You know, the guy that got the, the, the mice out of our crawl space, he's a client, you know? So the guy, so anyway, but the point is that I, he, he doesn't want to grow his business because he doesn't want to have his time away from his family. So he's in an absolute no-win situation. You know, it's, it's auditory. That's nice that he's doing it. But no, he's got to, he's got to scale his business and find someone else to do it. But if, if we're reflective, it's you know, an interesting exercise that I would just, invite people to play with is what am I, what message am I sending out to the universe? It's actually holding me back. I'm running with the brakes on almost everyone that was running or walking or crawling, but they got the brakes on and they wonder why they're not getting what they want. And a lot of it, you know, back of the book answer is a lot of us are just afraid of being seen. A lot of people who think they want to do something, they're, they're still, because they haven't done, gone through the self-acceptance, they haven't really you know, whatever the process is of really starting to see the, the perfection of who they are, they're afraid if someone sees them, they're going to see that part they don't want to be seen. But anyway, the larger point which you make, I think is beautiful, which is that he's he's in a job, he's working against himself. He's actually exactly working right. against himself. And and that's so, fr we all do it. And it's so, fr we know it because there's a, something in our gut. There's a way we, I mean, with me, there's a certain energy that I feel that I know I'm running with the brakes on. And we get to know ourselves well enough. We step whatever that is, I'm going to step out of it. You know, I know that I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing. I don't care what I'm in the middle of. I'm just going to stop it because the energy that goes into a thing becomes a thing itself. If I'm coming from a point of fear, if I'm coming from a point of conflict, 
then I'm going to create fear and conflict. If I'm coming from a point of ease and trust and love and curiosity and expectation, then that's, you know, and that's why you and I have the lives that we have is because we know ourselves enough and we know life enough, have enough experience to know that it begins with us. And when we're coming from like the beginning, when you said, when we're leaders in the best possible, when we're leading from the right part of ourselves, that the outcome will be the best possible outcome. And when we're leading from a position of fear or ego or power or scarcity or whatever, then whatever that outcome is, it's not going to be the best possible outcome. It'll generally be a reflection of the energy that we started with. It then becomes what we've created as leaders. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a, a methodology and I know you do too. So let's compare notes on our methodology. What, you want to do that? Because I think that that would be fun. Um, I, I, I created a little methodology called the shine coaching methodology because I'm vibrant, right? Because I also am a marketer. But anyway, so shine, the first part of it is self-assessment. And I think a big part of why people don't lean into their greatness or their uniqueness is because they haven't stopped to survey what they got, what they got to bring. And a lot of leaders, um, I think my experience is, is I work with leaders who are very bright, very intelligent, and they they move up in their career because they have a lot of good morals. They're, they're on time. They work hard. They're reliable. They're generous. They're dependable. Uh, all of these wonderful character traits. So you have to take stock of that. You know, if you that's the way you are, you almost have a blind spot, as I like to say, as to how great you are. But the reason they've moved up is because they're technically proficient. They gain um, in uh, institutional knowledge, which makes them valuable. Uh, but when you want to move from that institutional knowledge, great guy or gal, into greatness, that's when you have to stop and go, what, what's great about me? You know, because we were all told, you know, don't get too big for your britches, you know, you, you know, don't get too full of yourself. Uh, but I, if you work with me, I'll give you permission to talk about how awesome you are so you can get clear. What, what how do you do oh, self-awareness? Yeah. <laughs> so let me, let me just reflect on that, that step, because we're, it's so similar. And I, I call it the hero's journey. And so the first, I, I, it's, it's just so beautiful. And this is just such a great example of what you let off with, because we are each bringing our individual history. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take yours. You're going to take mine. No, we both found a way to express our capacity to transform people in the way that, you know, we live our lives. Okay. So the first thing that, that I generally do, and, and I don't know whether I track these people or whether, you know, everyone's got this, but I, I call it a hero's journey, which is that what, what is it that your life has been the perfect preparation and expression and formative process to bring your greatness out? Because most of us think, oh, it's all haphazard. It's just happening to me. You know, this happened. I have this regret. I have that regret, this regret. But when someone starts to really feel into what their life is about and what the purpose and starts stepping into this higher purpose, this destiny, whatever, higher might just be, you know, I'm going to build a better this or that or the other thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, creating some spiritual system. But when once people step into that, their life start to make sense. And then once their life start to make sense, then one, they stop disqualifying themselves from these things that happen that seem random that we're all, you know, we're all regretful about the first bad marriage, the bad investment decision at the time we, you know, the equivalent when we have the dream when we show up naked to our final exam, you know, whatever that embarrassment, shameful moment is. So it's the same thing. It's like, okay, we're going to recontextualize your life is truly the hero's journey that it is. 
And, you know, and I said, for me, it, it's when it's 62, you know, Julie came in, I realized everything that I'd done that seemed so random and I regretful was the perfect preparation for me being the person that I am. So it's very, very, very similar. I just can, and I, and I have people then go back through and, you know, look at three incidents in your, that happened in your life that you think were just random or regretful, but see how now that you know who you are and what you're here to do make perfect sense. And the last thing I'll say, because I don't want to bounce back and forth, is that this mutually informs each other, that your life informs who you are. And you say, oh, this happened, that helped create me. And when you start to realize who you are, it helps you contextualize these seemingly things. But both, again, step in your greatness, step past the narrative, the little narrative. I'm sure you know, you know how to rewrite, you know how to overwrite narratives. I think that's one of your superpowers, is you're really good at helping people overwrite the limited narratives that they have they keep them from stepping fully into their greatness, which is what you see, which is another one of your superpowers, Nicole, I might add, is that you're able to see greatness before they do in themselves. Yeah, uh, I do see potential in people all the time. I was talking with a woman earlier today and I told her that she should think about being a model and she's 48 years old and she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, there's a huge market for women over 40 who can model. You could totally be a model. <laughs> She thought I was nuts. But anyways, we'll see if she becomes a model. Stay tuned because uh, she's looking for something to do with her life and she's gorgeous and she's 48. But anyway, so the next part of my methodology is habit work. And I have a coach. Every coach should have a coach or they're a big hypocrite, in my opinion. And um, that's a strong opinion. And habit work is, you know, realizing what repetitive things do I do that either, either serve me or slay me? Right. So really having a consciousness. Now, I'm not a big believer in stopping bad habits. I'm a big believer in increasing good ones, because when you increase good ones, the bad ones go out the back door. I mean, like it's really hard to start running and keep smoking, you know, so those kind of things. So how do you deal with habit work? Talk to us about habits, because I think leaders need to have amazing set of habits. I, first of all, it's hilarious because I just told this story a couple of days ago. The way I quit smoking when I was in college, is I started jogging. And I, so it's just funny that you have to pull that one out of the air because that's what I did. So I don't know. Let me, I, again, I'm going to go high and then <laughs> bring it down. What I discovered was after, like I said, four decades of intensely trying to perfect myself and get rid of these things I didn't like about myself, you know, my self-absorption and then my fear and all this other stuff that I had is that I found that I was able to love my way past things that I couldn't mm-hmm. like force my way through. And then I found that there was stuff in the rear view mirror. It was now in the rear view mirror that was always in front of me because I'd actually become a different human being. So very practically, yeah, I want to identify this kind of stuff that isn't that, you know, is, I don't know if I told you, but you know, I have these three keys to enlightened decision-making and one oh, of tell them, us, tell us. Oh, okay. Three keys to enlightened decision making. Because I'm going to tell you, making good decisions is a habit. Exactly. (laughs) Because a lot of people make bad decisions over and over and over. So don't miss that. Okay. So tell us the three keys. I would like to know. Because it's a program I'm doing for founders groups. You know, I work with business founders. And anyway, the first question I ask, and the third one is going to answer, semi answer the question that you asked. But I mean, (laughs) and the first one is, is this mine to do? And so often it's like, oh, we act out of obligation. You know, there's so many things I could do. I have to do this. But is this actually mine to do? And I think, you know, you and I have both found what's ours to do. And we're constantly making that decision. Is this client mine to take on? 
is this person's problem something that's me, you know, is this mine to take on? Is it whatever it is? So this require I mean, all these require self-knowledge. So that's the first question I ask is, is this mine? When you said you want to do a podcast, it was mine to do. Boom. You know, other people could ask me to do starting, not not so much. The second one is, how does a decision make me feel? And this is really tricky because we're this again gets to self-trust, how much we trust ourselves. Because you know, it might make me feel really good to, you know. Someone can make feel, oh, yeah, there's a beautiful woman. I've been married 20 years. Oh, it made me, feel, you know, no, I'm talking about how does it, I run that experiment. I'm sure you do. I run it with clients all the time. You're thinking about like the woman who's thinking about being a model. Sit here and take for a moment. Imagine yourself on the runway. Imagine yourself in front of a camera. How do you, you know, how does that make you feel? So is it mine to do? How does it make me feel? And the third one was kind of the answer to the habit thing is what is the most loving decision I can, what is the best loving decision I can make in the next moment? Mm. Now I'm going to say first of all, hey, well, I'm a try, you know, I'm a try, I've been a trial lawyer. I've started business, you know. I'm not a, I'm not a Pollyanna kind of, you know, all you need is love kind of person. I've, I, I'm very practical and in in many 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 ways, but I have found that that is, that is just such a beautiful way to live my life and to attract certain things. But that gets to the habit piece, because I found is the next loving choice that I have to light up another cigarette or eat that donut you know, or whatever it is, because it gets back to the self-love. And I thought what happens is that, you know, it, and it's, you know, I remember when I started doing hot yoga, <laughs> they just said, you're going to find your habits change because you're going to get so in tune with what makes your body healthy. You're just going to stop doing the stuff that doesn't do it. Is there a certain amount of willpower? Yes, but it's the attunement. I would say my approach to habits is, yeah, let's identify them. What's in, you know, usually if someone's got a, you know, just a, <laughs> I don't want to get into the details of anything, but there are certain habits that they have to take their energy away, to take their self-respect away, you know, and they know it. They, they, they're coming to me or they're coming to you. They know it. They don't need you to point it out to them. They need a reason and a way to do it that doesn't involve all the old voices. You're just no good. You can't do it. And the more we are attuned with ourselves and the more we love ourselves and we love the people that are affected by these, quote, bad habits, I, I just find an energetic ability in an in in overriding rather than a forcing through. And I think, and I realize that's what you're, I rec as soon as I met you, I thought, oh, you're really good at overriding some of this stuff rather than just energizing them to try harder. You want to overwrite the tendency to do something that's self-destructive because I just care so deeply and, and just very practically, a lot of my quote, bad habits that I've never really been able to break, they drive Julie nuts. And I just don't want to drive her nuts. And, it, and it's so much more effective to just really want to do it that way. <laughs> and again, again, sometimes I just have to push myself away from some, you know, it doesn't mean we, we lose our willpower. It just means it's such a, I would call it a more enlightened way to start making choices that are healthier for you and for the people you love and for the world that you love. Mm -hmm. Well, that leads me to the I, which is integrity. Okay. So, so here, here's the thing. If, if you have great habits and you make, you use the third question, which is, is you're going to make the choice based on love. I, I think you're going to experience more wholeness in your life because what I tell people all the time is people are so confused about integrity. They think they got it, but you know, sometimes you got it. Sometimes you don't, you know, you're in and out of integrity with everything you think or say or do. 
and it comes and goes. And that, and first of all, the, the moment you can wake up and go, oh my God, I better ask myself those three questions Dave Gold was talking about on the Cool Careers Vibrant Culture podcast, because I need to make sure I'm doing things out of love because we know that like, if I put my arms around, you know, my daughter, I make her more whole. If I smack her across the face, I take away part of her. So love is the wholeness recipe. But, you know, I I think that one thing that people need to recognize is, you know, you're not a person of integrity every single moment of your life and you want to strive for that place. And so I think that that's the place of um, doing more loving, which is, you know, loving is a character trait. I'm a loving, generous, kind, compassionate, you know, that's the whole humanity piece. But what are your thoughts on integrity? I try to call people into integrity. Well, first of all, as you know, we, we, we do it by living the lives that we live and model and truly modeling it and manifesting it. That's the most important thing. You know, we will find words to transmit our state of being, but we as leaders, and I mean, we, as everyone listening, who's a leader, we, we do it by we're doing it. And I also want to just put a, a finer point on something too, that we both know as parents and you can use your daughter as an example, your beautiful daughter is that sometimes the most loving choice doesn't look very loving. It's firing somebody. It's saying no. You know, there's a lot of times that the most loving, I'm in a situation, you know, we, we can talk it off thing, but I'm in a situation right now where the most loving choice I can make seems very unloving to lots of people. So the loving choice, and this is where I think the integrity comes from. The integrity is that I'm not having them tell me what's a loving choice. I'm not having others. Oh yeah, I want feedback. And, you know, and I'm fortunate to live with, you know, someone who is, holds that standard and, and holds me, we hold each other to that standard as well. So yeah, it, it involves others, but it comes from deep within. And there's something interesting. I didn't even realize it was like a dumb moment where it was actually the, another, a second spiritual teacher that I work with was talking about, well, integrity means integral. It means one. Right, right. From it, integer back to algebra, right? No, bingo. <laughs> so it's not, it isn't just integrity is I, I don't steal, you know, when the collection plate comes out, I put money in instead of taking it out. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's sure. That's, that's, that's integrity. But the other integrity is living in wholeness. You know, what does it mean to live in wholeness and in consistency? You know, what is actually consistent with the highest part of myself? And this is, this is where it takes real heart and real courage which again, I, I see and admire in you is that you, you can't set it. I can't set the rules up in advance. You know, I can in a way, but every moment is going to reveal itself. What does it mean? And this is the beauty of, it seems like a great burden. Like, Oh, yesterday I was, you know, I, I let someone slide when I should, you know, when I could have get fired today, I have to fire them. I can't say I should always give them a second chance. I should, I can't say I should never give them a second chance. Living in wholeness with you and not just with you, but with the universe, whatever that means. You know, that that's the enlightened decision making is being so, so singularly in touch with yourself and so singularly a part of the world or the universe, whatever you want to call it, that you are responding rather than reacting. Your decision is a response rather than a reaction. And that to me, I have found so much more integrity in that and mo- much and also more confidence to be able to just withstand the opinions of others or the projected opinions of others who might think that I'm not acting in a particular way. And I, I want to just add one more thing again, because I, I didn't come on here intending to just flatter you so much, but I just am so impressed and appreciate who you are. <laughs> well, I'm grateful. I got to tell you. <laughs> well, nice to be seen. We, you know, you and I spend all our time seeing other people and loving other people. And it's nice to be seen and loved 
ourselves, right? And I think what we both do, I think where the love really comes in is you and I hold a space of love for the people that we work with. We really hold them in love. Even if we're, ho- we're holding their feet to the fire, but we're holding their feet to the fire within a space of love. And yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, David, I sometimes I love them and their life more than they do. Of course. And that's so painful. <laughs> I'm like, why don't they just, yeah. you know, and this brings us to the next part of the methodology, which is a next right step. Why don't they just take one next right step? I mean, like it could be so little, so teeny tiny, but just move in that direction. And I can't, I, I, I ask all the right questions. You know, I even get to the point where sometimes I break my international coaching federation rules and I say, <laughs> this is what you need to do. And they don't do it. It makes me an insane person. But my thing is, is so, you know, once you self-assess and you get some habits in place and you realize that, you know, that's going to make whatever you found you had in the self-assessment piece, whatever unique ability, talent, skills, whatever, your jagged edges that are supposed to be jagged, and you put good habits in place, and you lead with this, this love, this great character, and you even if it means firing somebody, and oh my gosh, that's a whole nother story we'd have, we could talk for five hours about firing people, because so many people are in the wrong spot, and they need to make a next right step, you could help them, but anyway, uh, so there's this thing of next right steps, so um, when you see a clear path for somebody uh how do you help them get moving on the path what do you what do you do what do you do i want you to ask us answered first and then i'll tell you what i you <laughs> well i just told you i mean i ask questions every which way but loose to see if i can illuminate their thinking by asking this really amazing question which is what a coach is supposed to do okay. um, and then sometimes i take the mentor role right and put my mentor hat on or my consulting hat on and i say okay listen this is what you need to do. Do this little baby thing. And oftentimes it's just like research. Like I had a young man that I was working with. He tells me he wants to be, you know, in the C-suite someday. He does not have his college degree. Now, I don't think that matters overall. Like he can get there with or without it. He just has to decide if he's going to let it be an impediment to your point. Like if he's not willing to give himself the college degree by getting his fanny in school, (laughs) then he, you know, it will be a forever impediment. If he keeps thinking, oh, I don't have my degree. I'll never be in the C-suite. But then he has this desire. Again, it's that yin and that yen. And so I told him, here's your next right step. Pretty please, before we coach again, will you please go online and figure out how much money it is, what one class would cost you, how it would work into your schedule. I had to like lay it out for him like I was his mother and I could be his mother, but that's what I did. Now he's enrolled. Maybe he just needed a mommy that day. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the best way. You need somebody to love you and tell you, this is what you do and lay it all out because Honestly, that's not what we signed up for, for coaching. But if he's never going to get over that, he needs to know how to do it. And if you, if nobody's ever told you and you've never had anybody in your life go to college, it seems huge. And it's just clicking. It's just clicking around <laughs> and getting information. And so, he, so he's enrolled. That's the big question. Here's, here's the question. So the question you ask yourself, you know, I'm, is, is, is this mine to do? Is it mine to do to kick oh, it? Oh, it's totally mine to do. Yeah, so that's what I mean. So 
And so one thing that I found, and maybe you find it too, because I, I'm very bold, as you know, and I just see things and I just find that sometimes the smallest, you know, whether it's I'm talking to the cable person or, you know, it, it doesn't matter for me. I, it's all, you know, I'm always looking, where's the opportunity? What can I, you know, where, is there a lever? Is there just a little bit of love I can give them a little, you know, whatever it doesn't matter. But anyway, the point is, I also realize I don't, I don't, I don't want to trespass. So when I'm constantly, you know, in my mind, it's so ingrained and I have, you know, I have Julie here. Cause sometimes I'll say, I just did this and I did. And she said, you trespassed. I go, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so somehow, how do you bring the fullness of your love out into the world, you know, in an uninhi- uninhibited and a loving and sometimes radical unexpected matter and still not manner and not trespass. And again, I can't tell you that I know for me, I'm sure the same thing. <laughs> this is what, this is what you're, what you're looking for. So I can, so first of all, I ask myself, is it mine to do? And is it the moment, but there's a couple of things that I do that are um, just very helpful and just from tactical. And I think we're helpful to leaders everywhere. And the first one is I, you know, in sales, we call it the feel felt found. I know how you feel. I felt that way myself. Let me tell you what I found. And so because I've lived such a long, <laughs> at this point, it seems like a very long life. You know, to me, this is great. This is my life. You know, this I say, it's, I, I'm just, this, you, yeah, you get the one snapshot. Here's my dogs playing in the middle of a podcast. But anyway, two things. Feel felt found. Is there a way of, I'm not telling you that, but I'm saying I've had this experience. You know, here's so often I find people that are coming that have, they're in a relationship, a marriage or whatever. They don't know whether to get in or out. I don't want to be the one to tell them what to do, but I can, I can relate my experience of just being and say, you know, here's, here's what I found. I didn't, I didn't want to leave a marriage because I was afraid of my, my daughter, my daughter. And I was afraid how I would look and I didn't want to be a quitter, but then the greatest love in my life was, you know, came out of absolutely nowhere, despite everything I thought I was doing, you know, and, and sometimes I'm not even going to tell that story because I might be too, you know, but whatever it is, there's a small thing where you just look and say, what is the experience I had Just share the experience and let people go. And then the other is that I, and this is just my, my peculiar insanity or, or whatever idiosyncratic. I just tell people I'm creating universes on a whiteboard and we can erase them in a moment. So then let's create the universe where you go to college, but you go to, how does it make you feel? How does that feel? Okay. Erase, 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 erase. And so everything is tentative. And then you just see what sticks where, you know, and you, again, you're a master at this. You're a master at feeling the response. You're a master at feeling the energy that's coming back out and being able to say, oh, green light, red light. So to me, it's, it's not trespassing. And then with, and it's, it's loving deeply, not trespassing. And that's kind of the, the seeming duality as well. I want to give, but I don't want to intrude. So you keep in that midpoint, that magical midpoint, that magical moment of, you know, period of grace that we all know the flow. It's another one of these moments that keeps us in flow by holding the trespass and the desire to, to have the best possible outcome and then just keeping things light in terms of the suggestions so that it doesn't come across. You don't, and that's also, we don't want to be mommy. We don't want to, I don't want to be daddy. I don't want to be mommy. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the crutch that they're leaning on. I, my, my job, probably yours, I want to, I want to work myself out of a job as quickly as I can with every one of my clients. Yeah. I want, well, I, I will tell you the thing that keeps me safe. Uh, yeah. The trespass, uh, and this is one of the best things. Everybody, write this down if you're still listening. <laughs> write this down. Here, here's what I want. Here's what I want you to do: is I want you to get in the habit. We're back to H. Mm-hmm. I want you to get in the habit of asking permission. So, one of the best things I ever got taught in coaching school 
was, you know, because there are rules of coaching or guidelines or principles or whatever the word you want to put there, is if you have an idea or you want to instruct your client, as you say, may I tell you something? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm going to start telling. And so I, I have a very good habit of that. And so, you know, I stepped in and I was the adult in his life. I don't think he ever had. Right. Right. Because he didn't have people that went to school. And so they didn't know how to tell him to go to school. And so I said, this is how you go to school. It is not complicated. You know, so, I, you know, and I kind of liked, honestly, David, I loved being his mom for a little oh, while. I, I, my, I, my children I, left the house. I, I just feel like you and Emma was like a please, bro, rabbit, don't throw me in the cap, you know, don't throw me in whatever the radish patch. Like, the, you know, you had to be dragged, kicking the street. No, you've been waiting. You've gotten to dust off that mommy, that mommy mode, and you got to use it again. God. I did, and it was so wonderful. But anyway, all right, last thing, and then we have to go because we're way over time. But uh, so the last thing we've been talking about this whole time, this whole time we've been talking about it, but we haven't labeled it. So the last part of my methodology is energy and Here's what I know. I mean, like, I, I don't I don't have any research, but I bet you there's a ton of research on it. But like if you put out good energy, you usually you usually let's let's make sure we stick usually in there, get good energy back. There are forces of evil out there <laughs> that are just plain evil, mean, nasty people, they're out there. But normally 87% of the time, I don't know how much percent, but if I put out good energy, I usually get good energy back. So you have to be so conscientious of putting out good energy. And I think leaders have to really get their head wrapped around that. You know, I, I'll ask people, David, I'll ask a bunch of leaders. I'm like, are you allowed to have a bad day? And they go, of course I am. And I say, no, you're not. And they're like, get very upset with me. And I say, now, if you're having a bad day, because you will have them, you have to leave the building. You have to get out of there, (laughs) get yourself in a good mood and then come back because you set the tone. That's what makes a culture vibrant is there is a healthy, self-assessed habit, good habit, high integrity. I know what our next right step is and I'm putting out good energy. That's what gets any organization, a family, whatever, a relationship moving forward. So talk about energy and then we'll wrap it up, David. (laughs) We can talk about energy for five hours, but anyway. (laughs) The first point is that you need to be literally... It's where you're coming from. It's truly being aligned with the best energy within yourself, the best parts yeah. of yourself, what that is. And, and I've been running this. I even, I think I mentioned it when we first met at the beach is I've been running this experiment as, as much of a marketer as I am like you and everything else is, although, you know, my website's up because I'm going to start going out. But basically I've just been thinking, let's see if I can attract the right people. Let's just see if I can attract the right people and then also say no to the wrong people. Okay. So I've been running that experiment and it's been going really, really well. Every one of my clients right now is someone that, that I, I, none of them did I, did I market to. They're all either referrals or they came into my life or the blah, blah, blah. Okay. So one, I'm, I'm running that experiment. I don't know what the data says, but I'm running that experiment. It's working really, really well. And I would go back to a line that I just inserted somewhere else about the energy of the thing that goes into a thing becomes a thing itself. And if you're a leader whatever energy you're bringing, that is the product. You know, you think the means are going to justify it and maybe they will in some ways, but I'm telling you over the long haul, 
And so for me, you know, I'm driven. I have, you know, like I say, I'm type A and I have things I like to do. And I like, you know, it's part of my success and part of my craziness all at the same time. But what I've discovered is when I am just working, I would call it neurotically, for lack of a better word, I stop. I stop. You know, sometimes there's a deadline. And I'm telling you, I'm still, this is a work in progress. But I am so trusting of this that, and even sometimes, you know, like my computer will crash or, you know, I'll, I'll spend 10 times trying to get a video out. I'm saying, okay, the universe is telling me I want the right energy. And that's, that's flow as part of, again, what your talent is. But to me, it's coming from the right place yourself and having the courage to realign your energy before you take it out into the world to the extent that life permits you to do it. You know, when you're, when you're in front of the board, when you're leading the board, the board of directors there and they're looking over your numbers, you can't say, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad day. Come back tomorrow. I mean, you're going to have to deliver whatever you're going to have to deliver. And there's a way that, that this be, just becomes foundational. And for me, the foundational piece is just energetically starting and reconnecting and just building this into my life and watching the kind of people like you that when you go down to the beach and it looks like, what the hell am I doing here? That something emerges and then this is a part of it. And this is the way that I live my life. And it's the way that I want everyone to live their lives. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, I I have thoroughly enjoyed being with you today. I hope the leaders got a little bit from today. You picked up uh, an oldie but a goodie, feel, felt, found. Uh, You got the three ways to make a good decision today. We talked about um, our methodologies. So um, hopefully you leaders got something great today. Here's what you need to do, though. You need to go over to www.davidgold, right? Just Dave Gold. Just Dave Gold. Dave. Okay. All right. Let's get it right. All right, DaveGold.com. Do I have it correct? Yeah, it's just me, my name, but it's the, it's the informal Dave, not the formal David. Okay, all right. He's you know he's laid back now. All right, so DaveGold.com. Uh, check him out. He's working with leaders and executives to help them get uh, get get out of their own way and uh, live uh, what I would call a vibrant life. So it's been a delight to have you on the podcast today. And listen, I know you won't be a stranger, so we will be hanging out soon. I'll talk to you soon and give my love to your peeps. Same as you, your daughter as well. Thanks. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.